Traditionally, what we have been doing as a church on a Sunday morning is we go through books of the Bible verse by verse. And so we've been walking through the book of Matthew for like, I don't know, two years, something like that. And I think we still have a year and a half to go. Uh, but uh, we, we took a break in Matthew uh, during the Christmas season to uh, just look at the season of Advent, walk through some of uh, the work of Isaiah, the prophet, as we kind of anticipated the coming of Jesus. And today we're going to, uh, again, take a break from Matthew and we're going to do something a little bit different. So uh, if you're new here with us, this isn't what we typically do, but uh, this is going to be a little bit more of a chance for us as a church family just to uh, look at at what God has been doing, celebrating, and taking a, a, a kind of a survey of what he's calling us to as a church family. Uh, my wife's family has this really uh, wonderful tradition I actually really like. Uh, Christmas Eve, uh, after the kids go to bed, uh, the adults all get together, they pour themselves a glass of Baileys, and we sit around and we talk about what it is that, you know, was a good highlight for the year, and, and what were some of the challenges, and then also what do we anticipate coming, uh, what are the things that we anticipate for the year to come? And I think this is a really important tradition. One, it just helps us actually take stock of, of what life has been like. I mean, if you're like me, life is probably pretty crazy at times. If you have kids, there's school and sports and activities. Uh, then you have work. And if you're part of West Village, there's community groups and DNA groups and mission, all this really important stuff. And Sometimes it becomes so normal for us to get busy with the urgent that we don't take time for the important. We don't take a step back to evaluate what exactly has God called us to as a family. And so this morning, what I want to do is invite us both to just celebrate, to look back at some of the things that God has done among us this year, but also uh, to, to take a step back and just ask, what is next for our church and what is next for us as individuals? Um, so, uh, basically going to remind us of why we do what we do. And I think two statements will be helpful for us, and we don't pull these out very often. They're on our website. Uh, but we have what we call a mission statement and a vision statement. Our mission is kind of like our marching orders as a church, what we believe we are called to as a church family. And our vision is kind of the picture of what we hope we will accomplish as we go through our mission. And so you can see these on the screen behind me. Uh, so our mission as a church is that we as West Village Church, that we exist to bring glory to God, by transforming the city of Victoria and the people in it by introducing them to Jesus. So we believe that our goal as a church is to make Jesus known, to bring God glory, so that every person would know how amazing he is. And the way that we think that that gets accomplished is by introducing them to Jesus. That by people coming to know Jesus, he receives glory. And our hope that as we do this uh, becomes our vision. And so our vision as a church is that uh, is to saturate the city of Victoria with God's people, saved by God's power for God's purposes, so that every day, every person could have an encounter with Jesus and his church. As we continue to introduce people to Jesus, that we saturate the city with people who are followers of Jesus, that his glory manifests itself through us, his people, in every place. That means when you go to work, Jesus is there bringing glory to himself. When you're at school, Jesus is there, making himself known to your friends through you. When you're in your neighborhood, Jesus has moved in. He's there pursuing your neighbors through you. And one day, the hope is that those neighbors, those friends, those coworkers will likewise do the same. And friends, church family, 
I've got good news because God has been at work through us. I mean, here's just a couple of highlights from the year. We got to see 11 people get baptized in 2019. That's amazing. And we, we say this a lot, so it may sound redundant for those of you who have been part of our church for a really long time, but we live in one of the most unchurched cities in North America. 400,000 people around, 400,000 people in the greater Victoria area, less than 5% find themselves committed to any kind of church gathering on a Sunday morning. And the way that the Bible would describe people who don't yet know Jesus is he'd say they're spiritually dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't resurrect dead people. It's impossible. And yet this year, we got to see 11 people declare that Jesus had made them anew and alive. And that's really, really amazing. And, and some of those people were, were kids who grew up in the church and their families faithfully have discipled them and the community has come around and poured into them. And they said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And some of them were people who have been part of the church for a long time. They've been on a journey and, and the spirit has been working in their heart. And they said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And some are people who don't know Jesus, didn't know Jesus at all, had no inkling that they would ever want to come into a church gathering. And yet someone like you was their neighbor, was their coworker, was their friend, pursued them, loved them, and through you, showed them what Jesus is like, and he worked in their heart and revived them, renewed them, resurrected them into new life in him. Church, is that not something we're celebrating? Yeah, that's incredible. We also got to launch two new community groups through our Fast Tracks. And uh, for those of you who aren't part of West Village, you might be like, oh, great, more small groups. That's not a big deal. But let me tell you, if, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we commissioned our last Fast Track as a new community group, you will know that we didn't just send out a group of people to be friends together. We sent out a new expression of the church on mission to the city of Victoria. We have two more bodies of people pursuing the city of Victoria with us as a missionary unit. And that is exciting. We've seen countless uh, acts of goodness just poured out as people have said, hey, we want to love uh, our city as Jesus has loved us. And so uh, we've seen people show up to help others move. We've seen single moms get cared for. We've seen orphans in our city, people in foster care or people who need adoption coming and discovering family, not because we're great, but because Jesus is great in us. Amen? Yes. And so church, I just want to say that we have lots of room to work, but there is much to celebrate from 2019. And our hope is that 2020 is even better. But this time is not just a time to celebrate, but also a time to take a step back and assess. And so one of the things that I, I just talked about was that sometimes we get bogged down by the urgent and we neglect the important. And so what I want to do for the rest of this morning is just ask, how is it that we continue to grow in accomplishing the mission and vision that God has given our church family? And in a word, I think the way that we as a church leadership feel this happens is through what we would call maturing, maturing, discipleship, growing more and more like Jesus. Now, this term mature, uh, ma uh, being a mature Christian or maturation or maturity, uh, I think the way that we often think about it in church circles is kind of uh, around the idea of years of service. And so the longer you've been a Christian, the more mature you are. 
Uh, but it's, it's really interesting because that's not really how we measure maturity in any other facet of life. Uh, my wife and I uh, have an almost one-year-old daughter. And the way that we measure maturity in her is by what we call developmental milestones. You see, she reaches a new level of development, and we say, okay, we've seen that she's grown in maturity. If she didn't get there, she wouldn't actually be maturing. She might be getting older, but not more mature. And I think that this is actually true of our spiritual life. C.S. Lewis, uh, author, Christian thinker uh, of the last century, has this great line, and I'm, I'm not, it's not going to be on the screen or anything, and this is just sort of a summary of it. But he says, you can't measure someone, meaning a Christian, by where they are. You have to measure by where they came from. And his point is that maturation is a series of looking at these steps, and these steps involve changes in our actions and abilities. And so what I want to do is look at some of these key stages of our spiritual maturity and show how as we continue to grow in these, we actually are going to continue to be more useful instruments in the hand of God as he continues to work through us to reach the city of Victoria. So the first, what I would call spiritual milestone, is what we would call conversion to Jesus. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to take a quick look here at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one right over there, or you can simply download one from the app store on your phone. So in the book of Ephesians, Paul's writing to a church in the city of Ephesus and some churches around there. And in, verse four, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, um, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So he's writing to his church, and, and he's about to say, hey, you have been called to Jesus. And we're going to jump over to verse 3, and he says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is Lord, who is over all and through all and in all. What is Paul saying here? Well, he's saying that the starting point of any kind of spiritual journey is with Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. We believe that discipleship is a process that can start before you uh, know Jesus, that, that everyone is being discipled all the time. And by discipleship, we mean uh, learning how to live, learning how to grow. And you can learn a lot about Jesus before you actually know him, but you're still not really quite there until you make that decision, until his spirit opens your heart to follow him. And this is Paul's point. He's saying this is the starting point. This is spiritual birth, the first milestone. My daughter, she was in the womb for nine months, and we got to, to know her and um, more, more my wife got to know her. I just kind of saw the wiggly bump. Uh, but uh, it wasn't really until she was born that we really, really got to see her start to develop and form. And that's true of us. You know, people might be kind of in that spiritual gestation period, but when they come to know Jesus, that's the starting point of watching the maturity process begin. And it's not a bad place to be. And for some of you, you've, you've been in that spiritual gestation period. You've been walking with Best Village. You've been kind of exploring what it means to follow Jesus. You, you started knowing things about him, but you're not yet at a place where you've said, hey, I'm, I'm in. You're still, as we would say, dead. And the invitation for you this morning is to say, hey, is it time to make the decision 
to start new life. The second developmental stage is what we would call conversion to the church. And by conversion, I don't mean any kind of salvation type of activity, but simply a way that the Spirit is turning your heart to realize that your relationship with Jesus is not just between you and him. So we continue on in Paul's letter, uh, looking at chapter 4, verse 11. He writes, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. So Paul is saying, I've given the leadership of my people, the leadership of the church, for what? For the equipping of the church for acts of service. He's saying that my job, Chris's job, Matt's job, any of the other staff and elders, our our job is not to provide services for you, but to actually equip you to be on mission to each other, to love each other, to serve each other, and to be on mission to our city, to make Jesus known. So he says, uh, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we have reached, until we all reach unity in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What's he saying there? He's saying, as we work together, as Jesus is alive and forming us and growing us, we need that community to actually become mature. And then he goes on and he says in verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What's he saying? He's saying the way that you will grow into maturity, the means by which God wants to grow you, is his church. And when the church comes together, what happens? It says that we become the body of Christ, that we give a, full, a more full picture of what he's like. And so practically, what does this mean? It means that I might not be gifted in a certain area that you're gifted in. That the Spirit has given you something that he has not given me, and yet, because we are working together, I'm actually growing in that area. Some of you might be someone who's a really good, caring, compassionate person. I am not so much. (laughs) Um, But... I married someone who's a little bit more compassionate than me. And because we spend time together, it's actually enabled me to care more deeply for people in ways that are more helpful, not just a quick, like, fix answer uh, that's usually trite and, and not actually helpful. And here's the reality. We are all different, and that's a good thing. But when we come together, we give a more full picture of what Jesus is like. And so the second place that we see as a developmental stage is conversion to the church, commitment to the body. And and there's this really interesting mentality that I see um, a lot in in the church in Victoria. And and I think sometimes it masquerades itself as spiritual maturity, um, as even commitment to the church, but but it's actually not. You see, what is an infant? An infant is a consumer, Right? What, 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 ah, man, words are escaping me this morning. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the infant consumes. What can they contribute? Nothing. When my daughter was born, she drank milk, she cried, 
She pooped and she slept. We cleaned her diapers. We fed her. We tried to get her to fall asleep. It was a lot of work. We basically did everything for her. There's a pastor in our network named Jeff Vanderstel, and I remember hearing him say, uh, tell this story. And, and the story was uh, him meeting with an older couple who had started uh, participating in his church. And uh, they were just saying, you know, we love what you're doing here, but we just feel like we need to be fed more. And, and he asked them this, and I think it's, it's a good challenge for us. He said, you guys have kids, right? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, what's your hope for your kids? Do you want them to stay reliant on you for the rest of their lives? Well, no, of course not. I mean, how would you feel if your eight-year-old was still asking for breast milk? I would feel really awkward if your eight-year-old was still asking for <laughs> breast milk. So <laughs> that's, that's weird and awkward. You know, you know there's something wrong, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone here, but you know there's something wrong if your 30-year-old's still living in your basement and has never moved out in their life. The reality is they haven't grown into maturity, that they are consumers and they haven't yet learned to be independent or contributors. What Jeff's point was, is that these people were, have been Christians for 40 years. And yet they were still coming asking for milk. What, what is a, a sermon, really? A sermon is, is milk. You see, what happens in a sermon is the pastor or the preacher or the speaker, they go through the word. They break it down. They look at commentaries. They do all the hard work of making it edible, and then they give it to you. And, and that's exactly what happens with milk. The mother eats the food, breaks down the nutrients, and brings it out as a digestible form for the child. But there's a reality in maturity that we can learn to feed ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with wanting to come and be part of a church where there's good sermons. That's why I, partly why I want to be part of West Village, because I love the, the preaching here. I love listening to the way that the Spirit works through Chris and Matt and, and the other people who get to share in this ministry. But this cannot be the only thing that feeds us. Now, there's this really interesting uh, reality in Victoria that I've noticed, and that is that there's people who are connected to a lot of different church activities and functions. And don't get me wrong, there's, there's nothing wrong with being connected to the church as a whole. But I think sometimes it masquerades itself as maturity when in fact it is actually infancy. And it all kind of comes from what you're hoping, uh, from, from our internal thought process in this, from what you're hoping will be accomplished. So here's an example. You can go and be part of a, a Bible study here and a men's group there and a, uh, you know, do a men's retreat here. And all of that can be a masquerade from actually allowing the church to get involved in your life because you don't actually want someone to come and journey with you. And so you, you consume, you consume this piece and that piece and that piece, and you never allow anyone to get close enough to actually have authority to speak into your life, and you're never going to grow because you've never become a contributor. You're just staying as a consumer. It's interesting, the, the structure that God has given the family for the growth and maturity of a, a or the the growth and maturity of a human being is the family. The structure that God has given for the growth and maturity of a human being is the family, mom and dad and the surrounding community. That's the best way that a family or a child can develop into maturity. And the same is true of how he develops us into spiritual maturity. It's, the structure is the church. 
And in order for that to happen, we actually have to let the church into our lives. We have to be committed enough to allow people to see the real us so that we can be grown. And so that's the second mark of maturity, the second developmental stage is we see people first come to Jesus and and they're a little bit reluctant to be involved in community. And yet the second stage is when we start to allow the church into our lives. We start to recognize that this isn't just a me and Jesus thing, that he's given us this entire body to shape and form us to make us more like him. We're going to jump over to the book of Matthew chapter 28. And you may be familiar with this passage, but this brings us to our third developmental stage, which I believe is a conversion to Jesus' mission. This is called the Great Commission. It's the commission that Jesus gave all of his disciples as he was ascending to heaven. He says this in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Stop there for a second. What is he saying? Go. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' call to every single person in his church is to go. And it's to make disciples. And that is a costly call. And it's not easy. We come to a point where we recognize, man, I need Jesus. I'm at the end of my rope. And eventually we realize, man, Jesus has given me his church to help grow me. And the final stage that we see in someone's discipleship journey is when they start to recognize that this isn't just for us but that Jesus is actually at work pursuing the world and he's called me into that task. He didn't just zap me up to be with him, but he actually left me here so that the world could know him. And when we get to that point, we start to realize that all of my life is not about me, it's about Jesus and his mission. And so you move into a new neighborhood and you recognize, man, this is not just about me finding a that I like, that has good schools, but that this is Jesus pursuing the people around me. And you start a job. And you start, stop looking at it as a means of making an income. You start looking it, at it as a mission field. And you get into school and you start, stop looking around and seeing your friends as just people who are good social contacts. And you start seeing them as people who Jesus is pursuing through you. And so I want to finish off here by just suggesting that there is a particular environment that is needed to bring about this maturation process in this. As I mentioned, the church is the structure that God has given to help us move from infancy to maturity. And I think we see a great example of this process in the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles, again, turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. This year, we've taken a step back, as I have suggested that we all do at the end of the year, to evaluate what's been going on. So August staff and elders met together And we asked the question, what does God need to grow in our church family this year? And we came up with two specific, what we call thematic goals, or things that we just felt like God was pressing on us to to see growth in this year. And the first is what I would call developing a culture of gospel fluency. You see, we believe that uh, in order to grow, it's not just about the structure. The structure is important, but you also have to have the right nutrients, the right food. 
We can have a great structure. You can have a great family unit, but if you're not actually getting the food you need, if you're not digesting it, you're not going to develop, you're not going to grow. And the same is true for us, and the food that we need is the gospel. A lot of us think of the gospel as the entry point, but if you've been part of our church for any amount of time, you know that the gospel is not just the A, but it's the A to Z. It's the every point in our journey because we constantly need to be reminded of who we are in Jesus. We constantly need to be reminded of what he has done for us. We forget it often. And so one of the thematic goals that we desire for this year is to grow a culture of gospel fluency so that we continue to point each other to the real food. That when you're going through struggles in your marriage, you have someone who reminds you that your marriage is a picture of what Jesus is like, who laid himself down for his bride, the church. That when you're struggling to get on mission because you have so many other things that are pressing, that you're reminded that Jesus left the luxuries of heaven to pursue you. The gospel is the only thing that can transform our hearts. It's the food that we need. And as we allow the gospel to take root in our lives, it transforms us and it gives us a new identity. And so what I want to do is simply look at how these identities are lived out in the life of the church as we see it in Acts. And so Acts chapter 2 verse 42 starts by saying this, They, meaning the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe as the many wonders and signs, as there are many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So this is what happened. The early church had experienced Jesus. They had been empowered by the Holy Spirit. They had been captured by the gospel. And it completely transformed who they were. And it defined how they acted as a church together. And so what we see here is the living out of what we call our family identity. We recognize that God is our father, and that makes us his kids. And that defines the way that we act together. And so we see four family rhythms, and there's many more that we could pull out uh, from the scriptures as whole. But I want to just talk about these four because I think they're important for us as we understand how we continue to mature in our identity in Jesus. The first is that they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning they explored the word of God together, meaning they centered themselves on the gospel. As I just mentioned, the gospel is the food by which we grow. And this is why, as we've continued to say, we want to have this thematic goal of building a culture of gospel fluency, that we're going to talk a lot about DNA groups. Because DNA groups are not, in and of themselves, any kind of structure that can save you, but they provide space for us to regularly take a moment out of our daily life and say, hey, I need Jesus, and I need to be reminded of what he's done for me. The second rhythm that we see is the word fellowship. Fellowship. Now, the the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. And uh, oftentimes when we hear the word fellowship, we get this impression that it's about uh, feeling connected. But if you look at the dictionary definition, the Greek dictionary definition of the word uh, koinonia, it defines it this way, a close association involving mutual interests and sharing. Meaning, it's actually about doing, not being. Scholar and author, a man named Ben Witherington III, and you know he's important because he has the Roman numeral for three at the end of his name. He says this about the the word koinonia. He says, thus fellowship is not a very helpful translation for koinonia, for fellowship is the result of koinonia, of sharing in common. 
What's his point? His point is that true koinonia starts with buy-in before feelings. We have this idea that we have to belong before we contribute. We have to feel the connection before we actually start to pour ourselves out. And the way that the Bible is calling us to live is saying, no, you actually start to do and then you start to feel. When my daughter was born, I became a parent. But it took a while to actually feel like a parent. But I had to start living like it. I had to start helping my wife feed her and put her to bed and get her dressed and clean her diapers. And it took a couple of weeks. And then I finally started to feel a little bit more like this was my actual life. My first year of college, I was in a small program. I think there's 26 of us. And they told us, you know, you guys are going to feel like a family. You're going to feel like a community. And let me tell you, the first couple of weeks, actually the first probably half of the semester, I did not feel connected to quite a few of those people. In fact, I didn't like them very much. I didn't want to be family with them. But this interesting thing happened. After eight months of living an intense amount of life together, I began to love those people. Why? Because I was actually doing it. We were being family together. We were eating together. We were doing classes together. We were going on adventures together. We were talking about life together. See, the doing actually happened before I felt like I belonged. And for some of you today, the challenge is to say, hey, you're waiting for this feeling of connection. And the invitation is actually one to to jump in to be connected by actually serving, being involved, participating in. The third rhythm that we see is the rhythm of breaking bread. Now, breaking bread is a a way of talking about taking the Lord's Supper, taking communion together. And this is why we as a church every week uh, do this, because we actually believe that this is a very important rhythm. And I think it's very important because, as I mentioned earlier, the gospel is central. And so every week we have this symbolic reenactment of what Jesus has done for us as we take the crackers broken to represent Jesus' broken body and dip them into the wine or grape juice representing his shed blood. We're reminded of what he did for us. And we need to be a community that regularly reminds ourselves and each other about who Jesus is and what he's done. And finally, we see the rhythm of prayer. The rhythm of prayer. Daryl Bach, he's a, another scholar. He says this, A community at prayer is something Luke emphasizes about community life. For it seeks God's direction and is dependent upon God because God's family of people do not work by feelings or intuition, but by actively submitting themselves to the Lord's direction. We as a church know that 250 people cannot reach 400,000. 400,000, many of whom have no desire, in fact, might even be antagonistic towards the gospel. How does this happen? The only way it can happen is through Jesus. 
So regularly, we need to go back and root ourselves in him. And this is why, as a church, we've been invited once a month to come together corporately for a day of prayer and fasting and come together for a time of worship and prayer, doing taste and see, because it's an invitation into a reliance upon Jesus. And in our community groups, in our DNA groups, this should be a core part of what we do. Regularly reminding ourselves that we do not have any power here. But we worship the one who does. The second identity that we see is what we would call the servant identity. Listen to how Luke describes this in verse 44. He says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. They looked around and they saw that everything they had was not theirs, but it was actually Jesus's. See, we really believe that if Jesus is our king, then we are his servants. And in fact, the, the term that the Bible uses is actually that of slavery. And a slave doesn't own anything. Everything that a slave is and has is owned by the master. So if Jesus is our king and we are his slaves, then everything we have indeed is his. When Shannon and I, my wife and I, first moved to Victoria, we recognized that we were in kind of a unique state. We had two vehicles, one of them being an SUV, and most of our friends at the time only had one vehicle uh, and usually just a small commuter car. And so we had to come to this point where we started to recognize that our vehicle was actually God's vehicle. And when our friends said, hey, we need to help, some help moving or we need to pick something up, our vehicle became a free-for-all of who, who wanted it uh, because we started to recognize that it wasn't ours. And we've wrestled through this as we've gotten a house. And, and, and the reality is, is that we're wrestling through the, rea- the fact that everything that we have, including our skills and our time, is Jesus's. The call for us, if we want to continue to see ourselves grow into this point of being on Jesus' mission, is we have to start looking at our lives not as our own, but as his. Which means everything we have, everything that we uh, can do, all of our time becomes defined by him. And church, I just want to celebrate some of the ways that we've seen this play out. I mean, how many people have had someone show up to help them move this year? Across the street that we were pursuing, uh, names were Rod and Sandy, and we'd had some great conversations with them around. Jesus had a chance to pray with them, and they they ended up deciding to move to Campbell River. And as we were talking, uh, they mentioned that they were going to hire some uh, some co-workers to come and help them move. And I was like, don't be silly. You don't need to hire people. I have an entire church. And it was awesome. I just called up a few friends, part of our church family, said, hey, there's this family. They don't have community here. Can we come and show them what it means to be part of the family of God? And those people, this is a Friday night, end of a long work week, the time that you would typically want to go and spend with your family. And they said, hey, Jesus, the, Jesus is in charge of our time. We're going to go and we're going to serve this family. And they did. Even thinking back to our last point about the family identity, we have some amazing stories of how this played out this year. Yeah, who uh, have been part of our last fast track. And uh, they're originally from Zimbabwe and wanted to get married in Canada. They'd done the traditional African wedding, but uh, it wasn't quite what they had. Uh, they need some other steps, I guess. I don't quite understand the whole logistics of this. But uh, they said, hey, we really want to have a wedding here. And they had been part of this fast track community for six weeks at that time. And 
we just mentioned it, and this group of people said, hey, we want to serve Alvin and Lucia. We want to be family to them. And it was beautiful to watch as one lady who used to be a florist, she made a corsage and a, and a bouquet for them. Another lady made a wedding cake. It was gorgeous. The family that was hosting decorated their house. People contributed money and gifts. And it was just an incredible act of service, but also an incredible picture of family. And going back to our point about fellowship, this group of people had only known each other for eight weeks by the time this wedding took place. But I guarantee you, they will be more connected than almost any fast track that I've seen at that point because they rallied around living life like family together and serving one another and recognizing that their skills, their time, and their talents were not theirs, but Jesus's. And finally, in verse 46, we see that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When we see that they are meeting in the temple courts, we might have this image in our heads that they were going to a place of, of worship. But you see, Jerusalem temple courts, that was actually the hub of the city. That was like going to the downtown court. That was where business was conducted. That was where deals were made. That was the public sphere. It was like going to... And so what Luke is saying here as he records this is that these people were out in the public sphere in such a way that others around them were learning about Jesus. And this brings us to what we call our missionary identity. Not only that, they were in their homes. Their neighbors were learning about him. The people that lived around them. And daily, as these people who were captured by the gospel, transformed, living out a new life, daily, the people around them started to notice, started to respond, and started to join them. See, this is the pathway towards maturity, as we continue to grow in these areas, as we continue to learn that we're family together, that our relationship with Jesus is not isolated to Jesus, that he has invited us into his entire family, that we learn that our life is not our own, that it belongs to him, and we start to gain a heart for other people like Jesus had and has for us. And when this happens, we see transformation. We see stories like that of Edna. Edna and her husband, Jordan, started attending West Village a little while ago, became part of our community, and they recently did the fast track. And, and Edna was sharing how uh, she had a coworker named Lee at her, at her workplace in a clinic. And Lee was very antagonistic towards faith, actually aggressively so. And yet, over time, Edna would share her faith and live a life that really demanded a gospel explanation. And her as well, some other people in Lee's life pursued Lee. And a couple of weeks ago, Lee got baptized. Chose to follow Jesus. It's like the story of Mike. Mike's here today. Mike's spirit was stirring in his heart, a desire to follow Jesus. He was working at the same place as a lady named Selena, who's part of our church. And she started having conversations with him, invited him out here. A group of people rallied around him. And a couple of weeks ago, Mike, too, got baptized. It's like our Souk community group said, hey, we have a heart for this town. We want to see people know 
Jesus and this small little community group said, hey, you know what? We just want to do something where we can connect more with people. And they threw an Easter egg hunt last Easter, just a handful of people, and they had 70 people show up. These are these moments where we start to grow in our missionary identity. Where the Spirit of God, the gospel, so empowers us that we recognize our life is not our own. And we pour ourselves out for others. And this isn't us doing it. This is Jesus doing it. And so today as we finish off, I just want to invite you to celebrate with me. God is at work in us. And that's a really, really good thing. But I also want to invite you to take a step back and just assess, where am I? What developmental stage am I in? For some of you, like I said, you might be not even an infant yet. And this is an invitation for you to consider the life that Jesus is calling you to. And don't get me wrong, there's no promises except for that you get Jesus with it. But I guarantee you, it will be the most fulfilling and best decision you have ever made. For some of you, you've been living in infancy for a really long time. And the call to you is to, to grow into maturity. And, and you might be like a, me, like you're kind of like a spiritual teenager at times. You know what, a teenager is this really interesting mix because they have the capacity for maturity and yet they also sometimes get pulled back into immaturity. You know, like, I know I could make my bed and be responsible, and yet uh, I just kind of want to do something where, you know, I want my mom to do it for me. Don't worry, I don't do that. I have a wife. I don't need... No. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to be sleeping on the couch tonight. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? We're in this stage. I want to be on mission and, and I have the capacity for it and yet my selfishness takes over. And that might be you. And the only way that you're going to grow is to continue to allow the gospel to take root in your life. Continue to immerse yourself in a community of people who actually can know you and who can speak the truth into you moment by moment, life on life. And for some of you, you've been immersed in a community for a long time and you're happy to contribute, and yet it's just about you and your people. And you haven't yet learned that God's desire is for the world. And what's the most common Christian verse? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And that's his call for you, to love the world. To lay your life down for his mission. We're going to get to respond now in a couple of different ways. And the first way is we're going to get to respond by just giving glory to God through music. We're going to get to worship him through song. We're also going to get to respond through giving, just recognizing that everything we have is his. And finally, we're going to get to respond through communion, a chance to just be reminded of what Jesus has done for us and through prayer to go to the one who can actually accomplish all things. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the work that you are doing in our church family. And thank you that your heart's desire is to see us grow into maturity so that we can be a more full picture of what you're like. So that we as a church can continue to accomplish the vision that you have brought to us for the city of Victoria. That you desire to see every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with you. Father, I know there is still much work to be done in my heart and my life. 
And yet I thank you that you have graciously brought this group of people around to mature me in you. Father, I know there's nothing else that can fulfill me, that can give me the nutrients I need for the spiritual growth except for the knowledge of who you are and what you've done. So I pray that daily you would remind me of who I am in you, of what you've done for me, and of who you are. Amen.